Well, before, I thank you so much, Raymond and Melissa, Marissa, for, for sharing with us today. Um, before I, I jump into uh, the part of the service where we open the scriptures and have some instruction, I wanted to just give you a little bit of an update and say thank you to you um, for all of your work. Um, last Sunday was our Thanksgiving Sunday, and on that Sunday we take a special offering above and beyond our normal giving. And this year we were giving that offering to a local church in Prince Edward Island to help them as they continue to deal with the impact of Hurricane Fiona. And last Sunday you gave over $11,000 to that offering. So thank you so much for your generosity. You're going to be helping so, so many people at such an important time in their life. And so thank you. Thank you so much. We're starting a new series today called Better Together. And whether you know it or not, as you grew up in your home, in your community, with your larger extended family in the certain culture that you grew up in, you learned how to treat other people. All of us picked up attitudes or certain ways that we treat other people. Maybe uh, we learned um, how to treat and have attitudes toward people that live in a different economic class than us. Maybe uh, you grew up maybe with a lower income and you kind of developed a certain attitude towards people who had more money. Or maybe you grew up in a home or a community where you tended to have lots of money and you kind of developed an attitude or a certain way of thinking or treating people who had, came from different means. Uh, the same would be true for maybe different ethnic groups, maybe Francophones, Anglophones. You grew up in a home or in a community or in a culture whereby you kind of naturally learned how to think about and therefore how to treat other people. Maybe it had to do with people in certain work situations, different professions. You grew up and maybe around your dinner table or in the circles that you lived in, they had a certain attitude about certain people that did certain kinds of work. Politicians, maybe. You grew up hearing certain things about politicians or teachers or people that served maybe at the local grocery store in your community or maybe pastors. And you just kind of developed this over time. You learned to have an attitude about other people and then consequently how to treat them. This is true of all of us here today. In fact, if you look at the people next to you, it's true of them too. They have within them learned attitudes about how to treat others, unique to your childhood, to your upbringing, to the community and culture that you grew up in. This is true of all of us. And in the New Testament, when the church was started, it was true of those people as well. That when the first church began and a congregation gathered, much like is here today, people came with these learned attitudes and these learned behaviors about how to treat certain people. Some of the people that came to those first churches, they were Roman in nature, or Romans by birth, and they had a certain attitude about Jewish people and people that were not Roman citizens. Some of the people were Jewish citizens, and they had certain attitudes about those conquering Romans. Sometimes, for some of them, it was about men and women. They were men, and they'd grown up with a certain view towards women, a certain attitude towards them, and vice versa. For others, it had to do with wealth and economic status. They had certain attitudes and behaviors that they just thought were acceptable if people did this or made this kind of money or were in this kind of income bracket. It was all learned behavior. And as they gathered in a church, they showed up with their attitudes. 
their learned behaviors about how to treat other people. And the New Testament in particular, from the very first part to the very end, the writers were constantly trying to teach these believers how it is that they ought to treat one another. Because within that little bucket of assumptions and attitudes that we all have are some really good attitudes, some really good learned behaviors, and we should ferociously hold on to them. But there's also some bad behaviors in here, some unhealthy attitudes, even I would say some sinful attitudes about ways that we think about, view, and therefore treat other people. And I believe there's some lacking in here. There's some things that we've never thought about before. There's certain ways that we ought to think and treat each other that maybe had never occurred to us or weren't part of our upbringing or the way that we were raised. And so we have to learn them. The word disciple literally means students, learners, a people who come humbly before the Lord and say, God, uh, here I am. I got some stuff in here. Some of it's good. I'm not so sure about some of it. You might need to tell me about what to do with some of this stuff. And some of it is lacking. And we come to the Lord in humility and we say, God, teach me, shape me, help me so that my attitudes my actions, and my behaviors will better reflect you as I live out my faith. Now, you'll remember, um, Jesus on the last night met with the disciples around the table, the Last Supper, and he gave them, what he, in his words, a new commandment to love one another. To love one another. And for you and I, we're on a journey of figuring out what does that look like. What does it look like for me to learn to love one another? Throughout the New Testament, we're a series of one another phrases and one another statements that appear again and again throughout the pages. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to be spending time going through them, looking at them together to check our own hearts and say, is this my attitude? Is this how I live? Is this how I think about other people, so that our attitudes, our thoughts, and behaviors would line up with the heart of Christ. Because all of us, me, all of you, we've got attitudes in here that I think need to be changed. And that will happen as we surrender our hearts to God's grace. Now, um, I'm going to say something, and then it's the most important thing, and then you can go to sleep or go get a coffee and walk around the property and enjoy the sunshine if you like, but stick around for these two things that I want to say here now. Because this entire series, the next number of weeks, everything we talk about is going to be built upon this simple foundation of two important points. Number one, that the church is ultimately a family. It's not an institution. It's not a business. It's not an organization. That when we are become people of faith, when we are baptized into the body of Christ, number one, that we are a family. Number two is that you need the people in this room to help you grow in your faith and to carry out the mission that God has given to us. In fact, just to get us started in a really grouchy mood, would you repeat this phrase after me? I'm needy. Just say it. It'll, it'll do wonders for your soul. I'm needy. Yes. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Um, it's true. You, when you become part of the church, become part of a family. And you and I were created to need 
each other. It's always fascinated me that if you go back and read the very first story of the scriptures, the creation story, the creation story captures that when God created the earth, when everything was still perfect, he'd created Adam, and while everything was still perfect, God said, it's not good for for man to be alone, I'm going to create for him a helper, and he creates Eve. This is not a lesser than, this is an equal to partner. The Hebrew word here for helper only gets used for two people in the scriptures, women and God. Men are never called helpers, no comment. Um, Nations are never called helpers, armies are never called helpers, only God and only women. God creates a helpmate. Now think about that for a second. Everything was perfect. There was no sin. There was no violence, there was no war, there was no sickness, there was no disease, there was no death. Everything was perfect. But God said Adam needed a helper. It's not good for these two to be alone. So he created community. He created family for them. And then there's that horrific moment not long after. Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. The Lord shows up to Cain and says, hey, where's your brother? And we have probably the most damning words in all of the Old Testament, where Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? Was I supposed to look after him? No, I don't think so. And we see the very fabric of that helper nature is broken. And thus, here we are as humankind, struggling still. We'll see later on in the birth of Israel, the the people of God. So many of God's instructions given through Moses were to help those people figure out how do we be family? What are the rules of engagement? How is it that we do life together? What's it look like? How do we treat one another? And then as the the first church is born, this brand new community of people from all different walks of life, and God again speaks to them and tries to help them understand what it means to be family what it means to live together, what it means to live with one another's. And so today we're going to look at the first one another phrase. We're going to look at five of them over the next few weeks. And the first one is bear with one another. Bear with one another. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three different passages in the New Testament where, just quickly, where where this phrase is found and kind of unpack it a little bit. And I hope that as we do, it'll be helpful to you and help you get a little bit of a better sense of What would it look like for me to live this out in my own life? The first one is found in Galatians chapter one, or chapter six, verses one to three. Just let me read this and you can you can listen to it. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Carry each other's burdens. Help lift the heavy thing that someone else is carrying. How many of you have avoided a friend because you knew they were moving? And they were going to want you to help them carry stuff. And they had a piano right? You get the idea. You see someone walking through the parking lot. They've got a pile of groceries. They're trying to carry it themselves. They can barely hang on. You run up to help them carry their burden to 
the car. You see someone in your apartment building carrying a mattress down the stairs, moving out. It's falling on them. They're about to fall down the stairs. You run to their help and you help them carry the thing that's too heavy for them to carry. Burdens come in many shapes and sizes. For some, it's health. You know, as we get older, we all experience this horrible moment where we realize some of the things we used to do, we can't do them anymore. Or we can, and it takes twice as long, and then we need three days of rest afterwards, and probably a visit to the chiropractor. Some people go through seasons of really poor health and things that were so basic and easy for them. They can't do them anymore. They have a burden. They need some help to carry it. For some people, it's financial. Um, they are experiencing the impact of inflation on their own personal budgets. Their boss is cutting back hours to save some money. And it doesn't matter how well you do the math, it doesn't add up. And they have a burden and they need some help to carry it. For some people, it's raising kids. You know, toddlers are not the same as teenagers. It's a different skill set. And you didn't grow up with a cell phone, but now everybody has a cell phone and it's complicated and you find yourself overwhelmed at the task of raising your family. And it feels like a burden that's too heavy to care. Or maybe it's a sin problem, which is the context of this passage in Galatians. There's a deeply rooted behavior in your life that you cannot break on your own and you need someone to walk with you in the form of an accountability or support to help break the hold that it has on your life. You have a burden that is too heavy to carry, and you need some help to carry it out. Well, let's go back to our, uh, all the things that we carry around in our hearts as it relates to how we treat one another, and let's just reflect a little bit on some of these things that we've just learned in these verses. Um, one of the things that maybe you're struggling with is this assumption that each and every one of us as followers of Jesus are called to help carry someone else's burden no exceptions. It might not be your spiritual gift. It might not be the thing you get the most joy out of, but each of us, every single one of us are called to help when we can bear one another's burdens. And, and this will be the hardest one probably for, for some of us. It will require those moments when you are carrying something that's too heavy for you to reach out and to ask for help. When the burden that you are carrying in your life is too heavy, it's too much, then immediately we have this feeling within us, or at least I do in me, the feeling of pride which says, no, I'm not going to bother them. No, I should be able to carry this on my own. No, that's not going to happen. I will figure this out. I will do it myself. Which instantly means we are now living against the grain by which God created us. He created us to have helpers. He created us to have people in our lives that would help us carry the things that are too heavy in the season that we find them. The second verse, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 3, just listen. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, I love this phrase, um, live a life worthy of the calling. The word worthy here is the Greek word axios, and it 
paints the picture of a scale for us. You can see a scale here often used in the ancient world for commerce. If you went to the market to buy a pound of flour, um, the way they knew it was a pound is they took a lead disc, put it on one side of the scale, and then they put powder, flour on the other side and until they evened up. At that point, they were worthy. They were equal in amount. Paul says, live a life worthy of the call that God has placed on us, which is Paul's ever so subtle way of saying this. If we are going to live with one another in our minds, if we're truly going to be a family as the church, it's going to cost us. It's going to require sacrifice. It might be a sacrifice of time. It might be a sacrifice of energy. It might be a sacrifice of money. It will definitely be a sacrifice of convenience. It will definitely be a sacrifice when you have things that you want to do, but somebody else needs your help. One of my favorite definitions of bearing one another's burdens is when you let someone else's pain live in your heart. That bearing a burden of someone else's allowing their pain to live in your heart, to kind of carry the weight of that around with you so that you can be supportive of them. And so as believers, as we think about our attitudes and thoughts about one another, maybe the whole idea of sacrificing my time my energy, some of my day off, some of my money to be available to somebody else goes against some of our natural inclinations or maybe some of our natural thoughts about where a true life really is found. And that we discover that actually being part of the body of Christ requires you to live sacrificially towards one another. Remember, Paul's opening phrase in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writing to you from prison. Colossians chapter 3, 12 to 14, last verses. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I'm not reading the same verses a third time. All of these words keep appearing as God shapes us to be in community with one another. Verse 13, bear with each other. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, earlier in this letter to the church in Colossae, Paul had this beautiful image about us being rooted in Christ like a plant, deeply rooted in the soil, anchored, secure, not going anywhere. And he goes back at the very first part of these verses with that similar kind of language where he reminds us that as God's chosen people, we're holy and dearly loved. That we are chosen. Meaning while you and I were kind of doing our thing, Jesus was coming looking for us. That while we were kind of pursuing our own agenda and doing our own life, Jesus died for our sins so that we could have forgiveness, peace, and hope. Meaning we did not seek God out first. He made the first move towards us. And he chose us to be part of his family. And then he calls us holy 
Meaning because when Jesus died on the cross, his blood literally covers us. Meaning that when God looks at us, he does not see my sin and all of my brokenness and all of the things I have done. He sees the blood of Christ, the righteousness of God. And therefore, I'm allowed to be called holy because of what he did for me. And then he calls us dearly loved. I am convinced this is still one of the hardest things for Christians to believe. That God dearly loves you without condition. That after knowing everything about us, he still dearly loves you. That is true of you today. And in this passage here, Paul is writing to these people, saying, look, if you're going to live a life of gentleness and patience and generosity, and if you're going to bear with one another, you better live from that, rooted in this understanding that you are chosen, you are holy, and you are deeply loved. Serve from that place. Don't serve from anywhere else. One of the things that I know is true about me, and maybe it's true about you, if not, just humor me. Um, when I am practicing this myself, serving one another, helping carry someone else's burdens, there's a point at which things get revealed in my own heart that are not godly. Attitudes that creep to the surface that I've been carrying around for a really long time, like, what in the heck am I doing this for? Is this even worth it? Is this making any difference? Is this person appreciating all the things I'm doing? Am I going to get a card at the end of this for all that I'm doing for them? All of the time when we serve, it shows things and it reveals things in our own heart that help us realize there's something else at work here than grace. Because when we look to bear with one another, we must do it as an act of grace. God chose me. Who knows why? God calls me holy. Me. Holy. He deeply loves me. Because those things are true and I believe them, I can now help bear the burden. I can now help shoulder the load. I can now take on some of your pain to live in my heart because of how much God has done for me. Let me close here with an image. I have not been to the Redwood Forest in California. I know some of you would have been there, um, but it is one of the places I would love to visit someday. You know, in Northern California, there's a certain forest called the Redwood Forest. Uh, some of these trees are 300 feet tall. In some stages, these trees grow 10 feet a year. Some of them are 20 feet in diameter. And if you've seen some pictures, they've carved like tunnel passages through them. If people can drive their cars through the tree, it's that big and it's that wide. And I'm sure the trees appreciate it. You would wonder if a tree is 300 feet tall and there's a whole forest of them, they must be susceptible to damage, to being knocked over by winds, by storms, by lightnings. They must be so susceptible to all kinds of damage. But the secret is in their roots. As enormous as these trees are, their roots only go down about six feet, and then they go outwards, and they link together with the roots of the other tree, and they literally are holding each other up. 
And if one tree develops a sickness or an illness or a disease, it can take nutrients from the tree next to it to feed itself so that it will stay healthy and that it will not die. Someone once wrote this about the redwood trees. They said, if they have a mantra, it would be this. We're in this together. We are one. If you want to knock one of us down, you've got to knock all of us down. And they stand strong together. Our hope in this series over the next few weeks, as we think about God's call to be a family and what that looks like, as we take time and revisit some of the stuff that might be in our heart, might be from our upbringing or our experience in life, and our attitudes maybe that we have about other people, that we would be incredibly courageous to say, God, I'm willing to have you show me stuff that needs to change. God, I'm willing if there's some attitudes in here that aren't just healthy, but they're sinful, I'm willing for you to show me that so they will go so that we can be better together. God, I'm willing for you to show me if there are some things that should be in here, but I've yet to learn them. I'm here. I'm humble. Teach us. Because when the church lives out these one another's together, we truly are better together. You will benefit as will each one of us and will give great witness to the city about what the love of Christ looks like. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your pursuit of us, for your commitment to hold on to this high vision of what it means to do life with one another, to be a family. We thank you that you do not let us off the hook. And Lord, I just pray as a congregation we would have open hands as we go through these next few weeks being willing to have you show us if there's things in our heart that need to change. Attitudes about people that need to change. They're not just unhealthy, Lord, they're sinful, they're harmful. Lord, help us to realize some of the gifts that we hold in our hearts, attitudes that are in keeping with your values of your kingdom. And Lord, even today, maybe some things that we'd not thought about that you would teach us. Lord, I pray today, I know there's people here who are carrying heavy burdens, who are carrying the weight of pain all by themselves. Lord, would you break any pride over their hearts that is keeping them from reaching out and asking for help? that's keeping them from expressing what's going on with someone they trust so they can get the support that they need. Lord, maybe for some of us in this season, we're not really carrying anybody's pain around in our heart. Would you lead us and give us an opportunity to come alongside someone? And Lord, maybe there's some people here today and they're weary. And they have been carrying pain of other people in their hearts. And they need to be encouraged and supported as they continue to do so. Lord, may we be family to them. We thank you for your grace and for the gift of your spirit living in us, teaching these things.
Let's stand together.